please take a seat together. What a trio. Thank you for leading us like that. Welcome for those visiting. I've seen a few faces I haven't seen before, so great you could be with us. What we're doing, we are working our way through the Gospel of John. Uh, we've been doing that for a while, and we are up to the middle or the back end of chapter 18. I'm going to encourage you to take out your phone, take out your Bible, take out something you can read the scripture on, um, because it won't be on the screen. Um, there is a fair bit of it today, and I just wanted you to be with us. Um, where we've been, we've, as we went through chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, Jesus was speaking a lot. And then at the beginning of chapter 18, we saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, just been arrested by some Jewish leaders and some Roman soldiers. Um, Peter had a valiant attempt to try to fight them off. All he could get was an ear. And that was fixed up. And now we're heading into the trial. So we're going to be looking at John 18, starting in verse 28 today. Um, and we're going to go through to chapter 19, verse 16. So I just want, I'd love you, if you can, to have it in front of you. And I know you might be reading from a few different translations. I'm reading from the NIV. And uh, let's just go through the story together slowly and see what God might want to be showing us. What I would say before we get into it is I think there's something in today's passage which absolutely brings a spotlight on the worst of humanity. And we are part of that. But there's also a spotlight on how good our God is. And hopefully you can pick that up as we work through it this morning. So here we are, verse 28 of John 18. It says here, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Now straight away, we've got a bit of a problem. I'm sure you can understand, I think we've watched enough um, criminal TV stuff and read books on this sort of thing to understand the, the idea they were bringing Jesus to Pilate for judgment, okay? But Pilate had not heard the case. Pilate had not heard what's going on. Now, he might have heard some stuff through the grapevine, but for these religious leaders to bring Jesus to Pilate, there should have been a proper trial, and so he says, what charges are you bringing against this man? And, and verse 30, well, sorry, verse 30, if he were not a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. In other words, we're not really going to say what we think he's done wrong because it might not be wrong enough in your eyes. So just trust us. He's a criminal. You need to deal with him. It was a difficult question to answer because the Jews really didn't have charges against Jesus that Rome would want to punish. So verse 31, Pilate said, Take him yourself and judge him by your own laws. 
but we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfil what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate puts it back on them. Hey, you've got a problem with this guy. You want something to happen to him. It's not really my area. You guys deal with it. And then their heart motive comes out. But we can't execute anyone. We want you to do that for us. Now it's interesting to note that there are laws in the Jewish law, in the Torah, the law of Moses, that says you can execute people. And the way the Jewish law said you executed people when they did certain things that were wrong was by stoning them to death. And we've read, if you've been with us through John's Gospel, we've read a number of occasions where Jesus did something or said something in public and the Gospel writer John says, and they tried to arrest him or they tried to capture him or they wanted to stone him, but they couldn't. He got away or he slipped away or, or something like that. So there's been this motive for a while for the Jewish leaders, we need to get rid of this guy. And the way we would do it is bring some charge against him, then we are legitimately allowed to stone him to death. But that's not enough for them in this situation. Now, the other thing to take note of, in the law of Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, we read this law. It says, if someone guilty of a capital offence is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole or hung on a tree, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under the curse of God. So here's something that they're aware of. Okay, If you are hung on a pole in the Jewish laws and customs, it is deemed that you are cursed by God. It's this divine judgment and rejection by God. That's how it's viewed. We come into the New Testament. Paul is writing a letter to the church in Galatia. Check this out. In Galatians chapter 3, this is what Paul writes. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come through the Gentiles, so it might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of God's Spirit. Love how Paul's putting all that together. Let our story continue. Verse 33. Pilate then went back inside his palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? I love how Jesus in nearly every circumstance answers a question with a question. Right? So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? In other words, Pilate, are you just repeating what those guys outside are saying about me? Or have you thought about this? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? So straight away here, we should be able to see the evidence of this trial is a farce. It's a, it's a beat up. 
Pilate should have been presented with evidence and his role was to bring a judgment on the evidence. He doesn't even have any evidence. Verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. The kingdom of Jesus does not come from this world. Because what we see, particularly in the Roman Empire, but just in our history of the world, what we see is that kingdoms of this world are based on power and corruption and greed and control and violence. That is the history of mankind that we are aware of. And we know many empires rose to power and at this time of writing it was the Roman Empire in power. And they got there through military might and force and violence and power and corruption So Jesus claims his kingdom is for this world, but it's not from this world. And there's a distinction there. John has reminded us over and over in this gospel, Jesus came to save this world because he loves this world and he's sending his disciples into this world so that his kingdom reality, the one that's not from this world, so that his kingdom reality will be on earth as it is in heaven. So Pilate, being the cluey guy he is, verse 37, you are a king then, he says. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So here's a thread that we've been looking at right through John's Gospel, this thread of truth. Jesus has already declared that he is the truth. John opened his Gospel with this, verse 14 of John chapter 1. says, The Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. We can't excuse Pilate's way of thinking. It made sense for him. In his world, truth comes from those who have the power. If I have the power, my truth wins. My truth will win over your truth. Actually, it's not that different to how things work today, is it? There's this absurd idea that gets around today that each of us have our own truth. And that's really fine until my truth collides with your truth and they're not the same thing and we have a problem. So who wins out? Who wins? Well, usually the ones who win are those who can battle better, can speak better, have the political power or the positional power or the platform power or that's what seems to happen in our world today probably wasn't much different 2,000 years ago. Verse 38, here's the question, what is truth? Retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and he said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? 
No, they shouted back. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising, John tells us. Okay, so let's circle back to this theme of truth. Remember, this is happening at Passover. Passover is the Jewish festival where the nation remembers how God saved the Israelites from Egypt. A lamb was sacrificed, killed, so that with one death, many in the household could be saved. That's what they're celebrating. That's what we're remembering. So enter Barabbas, a man who has committed the crime that Jesus is being accused of by the Jewish leaders, a crime of inciting an insurrection, of an uprising, potentially a grab at power. That's what Barabbas has been arrested for. That's what he's been charged with. That's what essentially the Jewish leaders are saying is Jesus' problem that he's trying to claim power, he's trying to say that he's the king. And I love this. Uh, As I was reading a few commentaries on this, N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, there's a truth being played out here. God is a God of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. God in the person of Jesus in reality is truth. Truth is Jesus and what he does So John, the gospel writer, is showing us that Jesus is not only truth, Jesus is dying in place of Barabbas, in place of Barabbas, in place of Israel, in place of the world, in place for you and me. Because all of us, in our own special way, would like to be seizing power and position and fame and all those things that our world seems to value. Remember a few weeks back, if you've been with us on this journey, we talked about how when Jesus, after he prayed, what we call the high priestly prayer in John 17, he was then presented to um, Annas Annas and then Caiaphas, who was the high priest. Remember we made this point that he was the true high priest being sentenced to death by the false high priest. Well, it just so happens that in Aramaic, the language that Jesus would have spoke, Barabbas is translated Bar-Abbas, means the son of Abbas, and Abbas, Abba, father. So the son of the father. So here we have the true son of the father being swapped out for the, for the wicked named son of the father and sentenced to death. We're into chapter 19 now. Let's keep going. Chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it into his head. They clothed him in a purple robe, went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews who were gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. So there's so much in that, I won't unpack it, but just the royal imagery that we're getting of the crown and the purple robe and and the fake, um, you know, worship and recognition 
So here's humanity making an absolute mockery of the true King of Kings. It looks like Pilate felt like he was trying to appease all sides here. So you don't want me to release him. Um, how about I beat him up for a while? I'll offer one of them to be released. Oh, you want Barabbas? You don't want this guy? Okay, we'll beat him up and then we'll give him back to you. And I still reckon there's no charge against him. But we've beat him up pretty bad. We're making fun of the fact that he's claiming to be the son of God, the king of kings. And then he says this phrase, here is the man. And I reckon this should stop us in our tracks. Whether Pilate realised it or not, he was bringing attention to Jesus, the person. Here is the man. Here is the one who would be king. Here is the one whose kingdom is not from this world. Here is the word who has become flesh. Here is the I am standing before you. Here is the image of the invisible God. And look at the response that they give. As soon as the chief priest, this is verse 6, as soon as the chief priest and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify him. Crucify him. Is this not the culmination of all of the world's evil and wickedness and rebellion rolled into one moment in time? Those who are supposed to know God, the chief priests, those who are supposed to know God, to represent God, to love God, to point others towards God, and everyone else who is in the crowd who just simply wants to live life their own way are confronted with God in the flesh. And not only did they refuse to acknowledge it, but they wanted to kill him. It's the human condition. We see it right back in the garden, right back in the Genesis story, where humans want to decide for themselves, we will determine what is good and bad, right and wrong. It's been the human condition right through. But at this point in time, God in the flesh, standing before them, and they just want to kill him. So Pilate answered them, you take him away and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. This is a bizarre suggestion because they can't go and crucify someone. That's something the Romans did. The Jewish law doesn't admit that, doesn't permit that, sorry. But it nearly feels like Pilate's just out of control now. He doesn't know what to do in this situation. Verse 7, the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law and according to that law that or law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. So finally the Jewish leaders admit why they don't like Jesus. He's claimed to be the son of God. He's claimed to be equal with God. In our, in our world, in our law, in our culture, that's the worst thing you could do. He has to die. Now, we can't kill him the way we'd like to. We want you to do it. We want you to hang him up on a pole so it can be evidence to all his followers that this is not on. 
Verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He said to Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. They've pulled out their trump card. This is all they had left. So the Jewish leaders saying to Pilate, hang on, we're going to bring Caesar into this if you don't do what we want you to do. Pilate History tells a self-made man ruling in this area of the Roman Empire that most people didn't want to go to because it was always problematic. Straight away you can imagine he's thinking, hang on, I could lose power here. I could lose position here. If Caesar gets involved in this, if Caesar hears about this, if Caesar hears how I've dealt with this situation, uh, this is not going to be good for me. They've played their trump card. Verse 13, when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover and it was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate says to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Can you imagine a Jewish chief priest making that claim? What, what a way to expose their true heart condition. They were not for God. They did not love God. They loved themselves. Another sign of the human condition that we find ourselves in. Self-centred. Willing to reject God completely for self-interest. We can't sit here this morning and go, oh geez, those guys are terrible and we're pretty good. This again is the human condition. And finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus and took him away. Now the story doesn't end there. We're going to continue the story. But for today, I just want to finish by saying, when I, when I really pushed into this, it was really confronting because I'm going, this is me in this story. And I'm not one of the good guys. I'm one of the people who... In some ways, the natural inclination is, is self. And we see this over and over. We see it in Pilate. We see it in the chief priests. We see it in the Jewish leaders. We don't see it in Jesus. How beautiful is that? We don't see it in Jesus. Everything Jesus is doing in this scene is others-focused. He's in this situation because of us. I find it really confronting. 
Yeah, it's pretty easy for us to be 2,000 years removed and go, oh yeah, we can look back on those guys and look how wrong they got it and how terrible they were and how, how they misrepresented their station and their purpose and all that, but I can do that, you can do that. But the beauty of all this is that's not the end of the story. Jesus doesn't leave us where he finds us. Jesus, because of going through this, and I'm not, I'm not, there's no spoiler alerts here, I think you know how the story goes, right? I'm not, I'm not going to... But he goes through and he does die and he does rise from the dead and he sends his spirit into the world, into you and I. And so we are now people who the very spirit of Jesus, the very spirit of God is indwelling and shaping and transforming us to become more like the person of Jesus. What a beautiful story that is. We're not left in the muck because God has redeemed all things. I'm going to leave it there today. We'll continue it next week. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you that we can read a passage like this and we can see your, your love for us in ways that are just beyond our, our thinking. We can see how, Jesus, you are obedient to the Father. We can see, God, how you are sovereign. You can use all things, even the most wicked intentions of mankind to bring good, to bring healing, to bring redemption. And so my prayer for us this morning is that as we go into the rest of today, as we go into this week, may we remember that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the Spirit in us. That when we surrender, just like Jesus surrendered, when we surrender to the Spirit's leading and the Spirit's transformation and the Spirit's direction, that you are making us to become more and more like yourself. So that as we go about life in the places where we find ourselves, others will be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so, Holy Spirit, would you have your way in us as your family, as your church today. Amen. Amen. Amen.